F. Scott Fitzgerald once wrote, we can't possibly have a summer love. So many people have tried that. The names become proverbial. Summer is only the unfulfilled promise of spring. A charlatan in place of the warm, balmy nights I dream of in April. It's a sad season of life without growth. It has no day. Well, for my guest today on the program, it also has no light. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of The Natural, a band which features my guest today on the program, Kip Berman. Let me tell you a little bit about The Natural and Kip Berman. Well, the Philadelphia-raised Kip Berman had a musical life long before he was in The Natural, and that life could be found in his band, The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. The beloved New York outfit was around for a little over a decade, calling it a day in 2019, after producing four perfect albums of indie pop that brought to mind everyone from Aztec Camera to Bell and Sebastian. Berman's 2021 debut as The Natural was the scorching beauty of an album called Tethers, which, for those of you keeping score at home, was my favorite album of the year. The follow-up, Summer of No Light, is a straight-up killer. It's got all the howl of Basement Tapes era Dylan and the jagged pop smarts of early Dream Syndicate, and it's one of those albums that grabs you from the beginning, leaving you mesmerized by its raw and tender power. I love this record. It's somehow feral and polished, and it's filled with the most achingly lovely hooks you'll hear all year. And speaking of years, this is my favorite album of this waning one that we're in right now. You bet it is. Kip's a friend of the podcast. He's been on the show before, and I'm so happy he's on it again. So join me in welcoming Kip Berman of The Natural, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Very few people get to continue making music at all. And those that do, um, you know, everyone goes in a different trajectory, but there's there's artists that seem to have navigated the passage of time uh, in different ways. And I, I look to those people as inspiration. Um, I think Leonard Cohen is one of them. I think Billy Bragg is another people that have 
found ways to continue creating and not uh, being stuck in one mode of creation or identity or um, way of presenting pre presenting their their music. So I I'm 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 grateful that so far so good with you. I appreciate it. Oh my god, and I agree with you about those guys. And and I I know I struggle with this myself, where I think like. How is it possible? I think Tom Waits is one of those guys too, where it just keeps getting better, right? Um, yeah, Tom Waits is great. I mean, I think there's something to be said for the kind of artist that seemed old to begin with. You know, I feel like Tom Waits was never, yeah. I mean, I know he was a young artist, but his uh, his his mo his mode of being was always that of a sort of, I've seen it all. And like sort of yeah. like broken voice and stuff like that. So in a way, like if, and I think Leonard Cohen also was the same way. Like he never seemed like a, wide-eyed youthful kind of person he always seemed like a little bit removed from a lot of his peers in terms of just seeing a little older maybe a little more uh worldly or whatever so he always kind of had this sense of uh the elder statesman a little bit of that original sort of folk folk movement in the 60s and then over time he kind of like just grew into his i'm not saying decrepitude in a, in a bad way i think he just in, inhabited uh, the voice of of the of 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 time in a, in a cool way uh that and i saw him late in life perform a concert and i was just like this was not a uh it was not like a oh we're so glad you're still out there doing it kind of show it was like this guy's doing awesome and it's like he might be close to 80 i have no idea like it was it was yeah. really cool i think you're right there was there was like a vitality to what he was doing where he wasn't just it didn't feel like a lounge act to me absolutely absolutely i think there's like a I mean, with the best artists, you know, like um, there's like a constant curiosity and willingness to question themselves, engage with new music, younger artists, like try to not um, wall themselves out, off from those uh, experiences. I, I know it's like Trent Reznor is another one I think is like pretty legendary in that he, I, I mean, I've heard he just like listens to everything that comes out. He's like an obsessive and he's wants to know what's happening and he's curious and he's and he's engaged and I'm sure there's a lot of those artists that maybe they don't even advertise that fact, but they kind of stay uh, relevant in ways that are um, just through their own curiosity and willingness to engage with new music. Yeah, like artistic satisfaction. So I've had this weird, I want to talk to you about summer, but but the summer, this weird thing I did all summer is I would sometimes watch Guns N' Roses videos on YouTube, trying to figure out, I can't get my head around this band where I can't figure out how it can be artistically satisfying to play the hits is one thing, but there really aren't any new songs. And so it has become the world's most dangerous band became this kind of lounge act and it's, they still sound great. Um, the singer seems to have some trouble, but they still sound like a great band, but I feel like how is this artistically satisfying to just to not move forward? And I'm not trying to single them out. I'm just, cause clearly that they don't seem uncomfortable. Um, but there are artists sometimes that don't feel that they need to challenge themselves or do something different. And I think that might be where the sort of rot sets in. I think, I don't know. I'm just sort of, I've been thinking about it a lot. It's a good question. I don't want to piggyback on that too much. When you said Guns N' Roses videos, I used to have a VHS of all their music videos, which themselves were like pretty phenomenal. Like by the end, like the one with the dolphins swimming through the streets. And it was sort of like, that single after um, November Rain, where they were just, it was just, <laughs> there's a lot going on in that music video. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's an interesting question. I was like, just listening to this like four hour and 40 minute podcast. This guy, uh, I think his, his name's Andrew Hickey, or I believe he's like a music journalist from the UK. 
who's doing this series called The History of like Rock Music in 500 Songs. And uh, I decided to listen. I've listened to a few of them. They're really well done. But the one he did on The Grateful Dead was literally four and a half hours long. Um, it was like the, basically the jam of a podcast. Uh, but there was like so much about the band I didn't know. And I was, you know, I'm not like a dead, dead fan. And I'm not like, and I know a lot of my peers have like sort of rediscovered them and like they've be, had like a resurgence in sort of indie communities and there's great bands like um, that that are out there that sort of are um, sort of like rediscovering that there. But like what really struck me was they were always, um, I mean, I know it's the basic of what jam music is, but they were always reinterpreting their own music. They were always revisiting their own catalog and reinterpreting almost nightly their 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 music and 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 while that's not something that particularly has ever appealed to me to like play a song differently 73 times in a row different ways like I think it kept them vital and interesting because they were never stagnant and that seems like an obvious point but I was I was kind of taken by how dedicated they were to their musicianship and how dedicated they were I, I think they've sort of had a shorthand in pop culture as a sort of a lifestyle brand of oh the grateful dead it's a permission structure to like party and feel free in this vague like uh libertarian way and like you know they kind of transcend fandoms across political I ideas but they themselves were extremely hard working and hard on themselves in terms of pushing their music to continually grow and develop and i, I know there were some periods where they had a hard time doing that because of other issues within within the band and and, and health and and like like other stuff with like kind of being caught up in their own party. But like, it was interesting to see this band that I I, I was a little bit like, oh, what's their deal? It's just like, they're just jamming or, or like this, this very um, superficial understanding of what they were about. And just listening how like Jerry would like practice banjo eight hours a day, like every single day at the start. And it was just so dedicated to his craft and not, I mean, and it was into bluegrass music, was into like, had a, jug band like psychedelia roots rock like all these different permutations uh country western it, it, and and even late in life like getting into midi and getting into the possibilities of what you could do with um using the guitar as a midi controller and the percussion was making sounds and the 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 keyboard was making percussion and it was like it seemed like they were always reinventing how they presented their music in ways that i just wasn't familiar with and i i found uh touching and inspiring and it made me like think far more highly of 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 their history um than i i had been going into this so uh um so yeah that's a that's a very long and rambling road of an answer but uh no but i understand what you mean and i do think that like as a writer i mean you and i are both writers and i one of the things that really scares me is is to repeat myself um even though i have these sort of uh, sort of you know the iconography is is something i'm i'm obsessed with the same stuff so like the same images show up um but i keep trying to find different ways in to talk about these things um because i think the material that i'm that i'm things i'm concerned about don't change but the way the angle perhaps does the the what scares me is ever being stagnant or self parody or um you know that kind of stuff worries me and i think your stuff is so dynamic and raw and and vital. Um, you know, like domesticity has not has not blurred the edges of you know of your artistic craft, which I know sometimes happens. 
And so my question to you is, how do you manage being a sensitive, caring father and partner? And then the music is so um, like an open wound of a of a um, of a sound. Well, thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt that I am a sensitive and caring partner and father. I mean, like it's, you know, I, and I think this is like a, a misunderstanding of maybe younger people have of like, maybe not everyone's like this, but I think there's a sense like, oh, domesticity is peace or like living with another person. is just like you get married or you have children and you just kind of coast for the next like 50 odd years. And um, it's tumultuous in the everyday in ways that I don't know if I don't know how to say it. I, I don't I wouldn't say I have a tumultuous relationship or anything like that, but there's there's conflict, there's resolution, there's like hurt feelings, there's resentments, there's like all these all these things that make us human beings don't stop the second you like get married to someone that you really deeply love and care about and want to spend the rest of your life with, nor does it change when you're uh, a parent. I, I think the one thing that I found in being a, a parent that's uh, cool is all of this sort of self-centered worry or self-consciousness that you had for yourself in life, you suddenly have to worry about someone else and you become so much less weirdly like self-conscious about yourself. <laughs> you're like, it's almost like fring and like, it's kind of doesn't matter when you're like a 43 year old dude in the middle of New Jersey, what kind of music you make or what people expect you to do or how this will like, you can just kind of like be on your own weird sort of dad quest in the basement like after hours and ultimately the things that really are scary in life are how your how your children are going to go into the world and how they're going to be able to react and how they're going to be able to deal with the planet how it is and society how it is and like making their own way and being able to sustain themselves out there like um it almost feels like your own irrelevance is is a, a freedom and i think that's um you can see you can see the good side of that, even if at times you sometimes feel like, oh, it's it's like sort of there's a downside to it as well. So it's almost like you, like you shed the ego, right? Like the ego vanishes. I mean, it's 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 an interesting thing because I'm making music independently without like bandmates as peers. Like at this point, so I'm not really trying to uh, impress like my friends or like. I remember I got really to ask that camera because like the drummer of Pains loved to ask that camera, and I like. I didn't want him to quit the band. And I thought like, at some point I was like, well, maybe if I, we write some songs, like ask that camera, he'll be like more excited about this. Um, it wasn't like, you know, it was like things had kind of run its course with the band. And, but what, for whatever reason, there's always a sort of sense of wanting to come to band practice with a song that impressed my bandmates, you know, and, and, or were like, they'd be like excited about it or they'd be like, good job, Kip or whatever. Um, and, and now I'm writing kind of, uh, and in a way that pushes me in cool ways. Like obviously, like I was like exploring ideas of musicality and playing guitar in different ways because I was, um, you know, I knew my buddy was like really into Roddy Frame and I was like getting into it too. But uh, now I'm kind of just able, I, I just feel more like I'm just trying to impress, not like impress, but just kind of satisfy, satisfy myself when I'm writing songs. And it's a little more, um, yeah, it's it's a little, it's a little bit, tough because you don't have that gauge of editing that like a band would give you like hey that's a good song that's not a good song and you kind of have to really on yourself uh so you don't like put out you know crap you know but uh it's it's also a cool feeling to know that I'm just like writing songs that I think are cool and if I don't, I don't really have to please anyone else you know too much 
In the old days, when I would write a poem, the first thing I would do is call someone and read the, read it to them. Like, okay, it's done. Now I can write. I don't have that urge anymore because I feel like I know when good or bad is the wrong way to say it, but I know when it's doing the thing that satisfies me. Um, and that's the most important thing now where I feel like, oh, if I don't feel satisfied with it, I don't need to call someone and find that out. I, I already know. Um, and that feels really nice to, so that you can work independently better, I think, as you get older, because that barometer becomes more something you're a little more in tune with. Do you think that just comes from the experience of having written so much and sort of become more capable of evaluating your own work and not relying on outside people? Or is it just more like the confidence that comes with being older or, or just simply the confidence that comes with simply not? Because it doesn't sound like it's like, a, I don't care what people... I think that sometimes people will say like, I don't care what other people think, but I think this, what you're saying is something like you, it's not that you don't care what other people think, it's just that you have the tools to uh, tell if your your poem is doing the, the thing you want it to do or not. And even yeah. if someone else liked it, it's, and you didn't, it wouldn't make you feel better about your work. That's exactly right. And I think also you're right. The first thing, getting the reps in, enough reps in, you know, when you're fooling yourself. You know, you know, when you're writing a, like probably a lyric or you go, uh, I think I, you know, that's too easy. I got to push it harder. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I definitely I felt like the like, pains never totally got into this. Uh, I do think pains like mix it up between albums enough, but I definitely could tell the style of writing and the perspective on, you know, what's at the center of most like pop songs is like sort of unrequited like attraction or requited retract or whatever. Like there definitely seemed like there was like a specific framework of what a Payne's song was. And whenever I feel there's like times where I find myself kind of slipping into that a little bit. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not, that's actually, that's not what I really am feeling. You know, it's like, but it's a weird kind of muscle memory of like certain uh, images or, 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 or lyrical tropes or whatever that, sometimes like sort of sneak back and I have to you know be like no 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 that's not what I'm about these days and it and it doesn't feel right either like I even tried out like really kindness to my friend I, I had this wonderful friend in Norway who invited me as the natural to perform a show at a little festival in like a little small town in Norway and I was so excited to do it but she was like just such a massive pains fan and I thought like well listen if you're bringing me all the way to Norway I'll do it like two sets I'll do one as a natural and I'll do a solo set as pains but like the second I started doing the pain set, even though it was like all through the best intentions of like friendship, it just, it just didn't feel right to me. And uh, I'm not like, I'm not Neil Young. I'm not like the vibe master who just like can go on about the vibes being the vibes or whatever. But uh, for some reason, I just knew in my heart that I couldn't like step into those songs in a way that felt connected to them in the way that I once could. And it doesn't mean maybe I won't at some point again. There may come a time where it's like, some new perspective on my life will make me comfortable doing that again. It's not like a don't look back situation, uh, but I I just felt like I knew then that I'd made not like the bad decision, but that I wouldn't make that kind of uh, decision again, even if it was rooted in just like do, trying to do something special for a friend. But I, I get what you mean where it feels like almost like putting on a shirt that's too tight, right? It just doesn't fit anymore. 
literally, I feel like my t-shirt size did go up between every album and I probably had to like quit for, for health reasons. So I was like, it's like from ex- <laughs> it started out extra small. And I just like, what's to say that there's, it's not extra small these days. I go to the t-shirt drawer and I'm like, find all the band t-shirts I used to have. I'm like, I'll give these to my children someday. <laughs> <laughs> cool Bell yeah, Sebastian shirt. <laughs> Yeah, I I know. I found this old Violent Femmes shirt that I had in high school, and like it somehow still fits. And I'm, it's the only one that still that still survived. But um, but you know, it's probably too ripped to be worn in public. Um, but yeah, but I know what you mean though, because to me, it it shows that there is artistic growth where it feels like that's not who I am at this moment in time. And you're right. Like maybe you go back and do some pain stuff, um, it, you know, years from now or months from now. But at that moment in time, it's like this isn't who I am right now and so that's kind of cool it is cool like and it's like I was like my 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 wife had a birthday party and invited some people over to the house and where I live in Princeton like everyone is more uh seemingly accomplished or like really you know people are like professors or like really doing interesting things and it was cool because she had people over to the house and she's like, hey, Kip, why don't you play people at this party a couple of your new songs, like after a few glasses of wine or whatever. And I, I this isn't for this album. It's like maybe the next one if I get to make one. And I and I got to play them. And it was like, I I live in this world where I'm just some like, like no one actually knows what I do or like my, my musical stuff. Like everyone's nice about it, but it's just like, it's a community of people who are not like super clued into like music in the same way it would have been like when we were living in Brooklyn. But like for a moment, they were like, oh, those songs are cool. Or, or, you know, they they could relate to them as music independent of whether it was like uh, the, the the cycle of hype or like you had to know these references to understand it. Or like if you understood like music from Scotland in 1988, then you would have understand why that was cool. It, it just felt like independent. They were just like songs, you know, and they were like, that was a cool song. You know, and, I, and, I was, and it felt really good to have my music connect to people that had no desire to hear it, you know? <laughs> it's like that sort of like thing. Like when you play a concert, like people are there to hear your music, but when you're playing in your living room and it's your wife's birthday party and she's like, hey, Kip, entertain the crowd for a couple. Uh, it, it felt like really, uh, it felt, it felt made me feel really good. Cause like living out in like where I am, it's like you, you're not as connected. You kind of have self-doubt and stuff. And then you're kind of just like, oh wait, I can write songs and people, people think they're all right. So that's a nice feeling. And the cool thing is that you had a crowd with no expectations. So it's almost like, you know, that's a really about as organic as it can possibly be, right? Yeah, no expectations plus like three glasses of wine is a really good combination um, for, for how it goes over. <laughs> what I what I love about The Natural is that it's sort of like, it just feels like you're like um, you're swinging so free and so wild and so hard at these songs. And um I mean, I love the last record so much. I can't, I play it all the time. And like, I'm like, wait a minute, is the, the new one, it, it almost better doesn't doesn't seem fair, but it's like the new one, it just ratches it up um, even higher. Um, and I'm like, it seems like impossible to get any better. And yet you have, and I just, I love this set of songs. Well, that's nice of you to say. You know, um, one thing about these songs is what I really, I think really wanted to do starting off with this project is just be able to pick up the guitar and play them. And uh, with Pains, it wasn't that easy. Like a Pain song only sounded right if, you know, there was five people in the room playing specific parts and we had the right equipment and like all, there was like a lot of like weird prerequisites for it to sound good. And with this, it's like literally the, 
the acoustic guitar that only has five strings on it that my kids put like matchbox cars inside, I can pick that up and play a natural song and it sounds right. You know, it doesn't feel like it needs anything else. And that feels really freeing because that means I can just say yes to stuff and um, play a show wherever and, and go wherever and not need to like rent a van and like have a drum set and have like coordinate schedules with five people or whatever. It just feels like the music can just go wherever it needs to go without a lot of potential uh, pretension or baggage or like anything like that. Um, and, and that's what there's like a, it feels logistically free. You know, it's like, I'm glad you feel it feels artistically free and it feels like, like sort of comfortable in its, in its own skin, but it also feels logistically free in a cool way. And I, I, I appreciate that as well. Um, the first record was cool. It was like a, it was a really big departure from what I'd done before. And this time, I went to record it with the same guy and I thought he was going to be bored if we just did the same thing again. So I was like, no, no, this time we'll do it like channeling these ideas or like record it this way or do it this way. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. Or we could just like do the same we did last time and see how what happens. I was like, oh, cool. I didn't, I didn't want to bore you, but yeah, that's, that's good with me too. Like we can just go into the room and bang it out and like, you know, go to the pub afterwards and um, be home by dinner or whatever, you know? So, uh, so that was cool. It's fiscally, it makes sense. It's portable um, and it does sort of, and it's streamlined. So it's really kind of a, it works on a bunch of different levels. Well, yeah, like what's everyone's favorite part of playing music is playing music. No one's favorite part of playing music is carrying like drum hardware into a van, you know, <laughs> or like a bass amp. You know, it's like, like, I know there's reasons why that's like really cool. And sometimes I do get to play with a, a live, a full band and and do it that way. Um, but I really just wanted to get to the core of what I liked, which was writing songs and then like just getting to play them for people if 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 life allowed for that. So uh, this project really lets me just do that and um, not have to say no to anything for reasons that don't have anything to do with music. And the whole notion of like public enemy, like let the drummer get wicked. There's no moment where a drummer is going to get wicked. It's just you. Do you um, do you feel the phantom limb of a band? You know, I I, I play in such a way that. Uh, I think my bandmates would like joke about this, but uh, my natural way of playing has a lot of variability in dynamics and uh, tempo. So like in a lot of ways, like being my own metronome suits this music well. Uh, like I, like my, the guy that plays drums with me, like he'd never be rude about it, but we were recording the album and he was kind of like a little bit like, you know, the song's kind of changing tempo here a little bit. Are you, are, you are aware of that, right? Um, so sometimes <laughs> when I play by myself, it, it feels, it feels like I could just kind of take, take things clearly at my own pace and not have to worry about if I'm throwing things off or, um, moving the song in a way that like maybe my bandmates wouldn't pick up on. I, I don't know if it's a phantom limb because sometimes I do play like, uh, with, with my, my guys and, uh, the drummer played with me in pains. Um, the guys play bass with me now as an old old friend who's only recently started playing music with me. I wrote to him before the pandemic about it and then, then I'd forgotten and he like checked in with me and the guy that played bass had just gone uh, taking like a job where he couldn't like do stuff so much. So I was like, oh wait, yeah, thanks for checking back in. So I do like being with my friends. I do like being with the people who um, in a room with people, but there's something like kind of nice about just being fully in control of your own, own, own thing. And like Billy Bragg and doing it with an electric guitar, I think like is kind of cool. Like I know, I'm not the first person to do it, but there's something cool about still being like, no, no, playing electric guitar is cool. You don't need to do it in the context of a band. You can, it just makes a cool sound in and of itself. And uh, I, I like that. I like that vibe. 
I like it too. And I think that um, one of the hallmarks of, of, to me as a fan of natural, is it sort of like nobody builds a song. Like I can feel like the temperature rising within a song. I don't think anyone does that better than you. Like, I just love how your songs, just the feeling, it's like a swelling and it's just remarkable. You know, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I, I, always, I, I always do wonder like, and this is like too like self-reflective, but like, what is it the thing I do that's like my my thing? And I always thought with pains, I was, uh, I, I really liked, I thought writing songs, I was like almost like a better writer than my musicianship allowed for. So I always felt like me playing my own songs sometimes got in the way of them. And it's not to say I'm like a better writer. It was, it, I always felt like, I felt really good about writing songs. And I felt very like, I don't know if I'm doing them justice by actually playing them. You know, it, it's, it's like mm. a weird feeling. Um, but but I think I was just trying to fit my sound into the kind of music I was I loved. You know, I love Roddy Frame, but I'm not Roddy Frame. I love so many the Glaswegian indie bands and like so much of the British stuff and uh and cool American bands like Idler Set and uh, obviously San Francisco Legends and uh, the yeah. stuff on Slumberland. But I I I I kind of realized that, you know. By making this kind of music, it it just suits what my voice naturally is, and I don't have to try to sing like, you know, Stephen Pastel, who has like a two octave range lower than me, or like any of these people that aren't me. And I know that's like find your own voice or find your own thing or be yourself seems like such a a Mister Rogers perspective on art, but like I think it's like it's really true. And like you know, maybe some people figure that out when they're like twenty, and I'm forty, and I'm just being like I'm learning to sing in my own range. I'm not, you know, it, it's like, it, it seems like such a basic thing or like feel comfortable in your own body and stuff. But uh, I feel so much more confident performing live now with this, this style of music than I think I did with pains where I was always trying to like, you know, be like Robert Smith or like something, something that wasn't who I am, you know, it's uh, so yeah, that's, it's interesting. I feel like I locked in my voice as a writer around 45, because I'm 53 now. So somewhere around 45, 46, I had been sort of flirting with it for years. And then I felt it lock in. And then once it locked in, you know, nothing else will do except for the thing that you're locked in with. And um, going back and looking at my other work, my older work, which I never published, I went, oh, wow, I could see where I was headed. But boy, there was a long road to go. It took a long time to get there. But it feels so good to have arrived, you know, in that place. I mean, do you feel like, I guess if you didn't publish it, so you don't feel like self-conscious about it being out there in the world, but do you feel like some, not like embarrassment is the right word, but do you feel like you're putting something out in the world that um, you feel a little like, it's hard to go back and look at it and like listen to it or, or not listen to it, but engage with it? Totally, yeah. I mean, even, I'm really proud of Emergency Anthems, but when I was doing a reading from it fairly recently, I was changing stuff during the reading like changing some I was taking words out and putting things in as, when I was doing it live um in a, at a live book reading um I mean but so, and th those moments do sometimes make my ears a little hot with embarrassment I think embarrassment like artistic embarrassment um but to me I give myself a break and go well that just that represents growth that's good it's good to I think every author um or writer artist feels that way about um about their their previous work. I mean, even like I was talking to Steve Kilby of the church and he was saying like, 
he doesn't want to play the songs from the starfish but you know but that's what people want he's like i've done so much work since then and i still i've got to play under the milky way not that he doesn't love the song but he's just like you know he's more interested in what he's doing now he's not interested in 35 years ago so i think that's also part of the struggle well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's also difficult when you have reached that level of acclaim for something that there's going to be a certain portion of people and, and people are grateful to have like an audience or anyone care about what they're doing at all. But that locks in with that moment and that age they were when they encountered music. I, I think about this with music all the time. It, so much of pains or like if I talk to people like what pains album did you like? It's usually the one they heard first at a certain time of their life when they were like 19 or whatever. And it's and it has nothing to really do with the record itself, though I mean some people like others, some more than others, but it's usually just like the time of life that they encountered an artist for the first time, the first record that they really got into. And maybe there's another, but for even like some of my favorite bands, like for Bell and Sebastian, it's probably put out like 12 records now. And I I go back to the green one. Uh, but everyone knows the red ones, quote unquote, the even better, but like the green one was my first encounter with this artist and of course I love if you're feeling sinister of course I love the EPs but but maybe I don't but it's it's hard to understand that they might be making music that's just as good they'll probably be like actually this stuff's probably better we figured some stuff out like we're trying some new stuff and we're more in command of our ourselves but like for me I'm always going back for like maybe the first three or four albums Tiger Bill, Sinister, Boy with the Arab Strap and those three EPs the you know as like the ones when I go see them in concert, when they play one of those songs, I'm like, I'm there for it. And, and, and I think probably from their perspective, I mean, I'm sure they're grateful people like buy concert tickets to go see them um, year after year, but it must be challenging when they, they are making music that they're like, actually, this is like really what we're proud of now. And everyone's like, you know, like into it, they're like, oh, cool. They, this one kind of sounds like dancing and it's cool, but it must be hard because I, like there's, for certain members of the audience that discover them at a certain time of life, they are always going to be sort of trapped in in that 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 moment. That's right. That's right. Which, in many ways, is also a privilege. Where it have, I mean, I saw them play here at the Greek Theater in Berkeley, and I, and they were fantastic. And then the next time I saw them, they didn't play Judy and the Dream of Horses, and I was like disappointed. And I thought, oh. what's my problem? <laughs> like, why why do they need to play that song for me? Um, you know, they did it the last time and it was fantastic, but it's like, because it's locked into this time and a place, like you're saying. So um, I think we're all guilty of that, but, but time is an interesting thing. Remember when we were kids and like, you know, in your second grade classroom, you could tell the seasons were changing because the decorations that would go up would symbolize <laughs> Halloween that, you know, right. Thanksgiving, Christmas. Um, and as an adult, you don't get that. And so time tends to sort of blur and get weird um and i'm very possessive of summer as a as a, a moment in time i really like the summer I, I i write better i live better i just i'm happier in the summertime um but when summer ends i tend to get a little bit bummed out do you have any of that sort of thing like when summer's over are you like did i maximize it did i do the right stuff it's like there's this buffalo tom song about about summer it's just i think it's called summer he says like something like summer's gone and summers uh, you like you basically the accusation is you've wasted <laughs> you've wasted summer oh or is it the jonathan richmond song that summer feeling is like another it's gonna one. haunt you oh it's gonna haunt you um 
the key to this is having fall be your favorite season. And then you're like, oh, fall, this is what it's about, pumpkin pie, like, you know, the right. leaves, the back to school, the smells. Um, no, I mean, I, I guess we should probably talk about summer because the album has many, the word summer in it a couple of times, and it was written in summer and it reflects on other summers. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very, I'm very prone to, uh, it's not like self-pity, but there's like, there's something achy about seeing places um, and remembering times that you just know won't come again, even if they, in if you like looked at it more closely, they maybe not have been the best times, but there's like, um, the album's called Summer of No Light, but, and, 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 and the conceit of it is what I wrote it in the summer of 2020, like early days of lockdown. I was just kind of, it was an absent summer. It was like a summer, a year without a summer. And then yeah. there's the, the famous, uh, year without a summer of 1816 in which, uh, a volcano explodes halfway around the world in Indonesia. No one puts it together, but all of a sudden, it's basically like snowing in North America in June, but in more specifically in continental Europe, um, the, the, they don't have a harvest. It's like the people are starving and displaced. The weather's extremely cold and people are thinking apocalyptically as the world ending. Weirdly, they discovered sunspots the same year. I know they're not related, but people were like, this, something's wrong with the sun. Um, but this was also the summer that um, Mary Shelley sort of, decamped to uh, Switzerland with her with her husband Percy I mean she ran eloped with him as a teenager it was like tumultuous he had been married to another person when they did this like Lord Byron came along with his personal doctor and personal doctor is basically the the 19th century term for um a drug dealer I think like it's like, it's like I shall prescribe you medicines <laughs> and they were drinking and like uh you know fornicating with one another and just kind of having a a lost summer. But I mean, within the context of like, they were fortunate to be able to like sit inside and complain about the weather while, you know, people were starving and like displaced and stuff. Like there's there's layers to human suffering and I'm not pretending that like these sort of impoverished aristocrats were somehow, you know, having the worst time of it on earth. Um, but I was, I myself was reflecting on like the summer, this summer that I was in in 2020, which was like completely, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen next. No one wants to talk about it now because everyone was there. It's not like people were like, hey, tell me about what it was like for you in the pandemic or whatever, because everyone right. had the same experiences and it's kind of a wash where everyone's like, yeah, dude, yeah, it sucked. We were all there. It sucked worse for some people too. Um, but then I was reflecting upon the summer after I like, finished college when I was sort of staying in this like rental with these people. Um, and it was just kind of like one of those the party never ends kind of uh, situations. And and what's, what's funny is the person that was there that I was kind of seeing in this very, you know, maybe not entirely serious way is the person I'm married to today. Um, her cousin was in that house. Like she actually sang in pains for a tour with news pornographers once. Like all these people that should have been like, oh, that was a crazy time, but, uh, they're still connected in my life in these meaningful ways. So I was relating to like, you know, Mary Shelley's sort of debauched summer with memories of, you know, a similar, um, though artistically far less productive time of my own. She wrote Frankenstein that summer. I wrote a lot of songs that sounded like The Strokes uh, that's <laughs> in 2002. 
Um, but yeah, and, and then like, and I was make, writing these songs sort of in the summer of 2020, which was, uh, a, you know, just a, time, a year without a summer again. But it was, it was strange because the, the, year, the famous year without a summer was a climate crisis, but it was completely beyond human control. Summer 2020, I mean, it's not, we're still in it. We're not gonna not be in it ever. It was a climate crisis, huge social upheaval. Like there was the parallels were interesting, but it also um, was inspiring because you realize, you know, this is not the first rodeo of human beings dealing with uh, circumstances like this. Um, but also realizing that, you know, you're among the lucky ones that are like sheltering in place. And I guess that's like another level of it too. So um, I, I, and then like, ultimately it's like, None of these songs were totally about like COVID. These songs weren't about mm. climate crisis per se. They were just kind of came out of this time in which all of us were dealing with this too. So um, maybe Frankenstein was inspired by, there's like, I've read some research where it's like, no one talks about this, but this idea of at the time of writing Frankenstein, you know, the peasantry was roaming, crops were failing, people were displaced, they were looking for a shelter and humanity and being denied by the landed aristocracy. Likewise in Frankenstein, like this cerebral um, monster looks for someone to take him in, recognizes humanity, and he only finds rejection at every turn. So there is some sense that like elements of the novel might have been picking up on stuff that was really happening in, in Europe at that time. Um, but my album, and I was just like, it was more just like the day in day out drudgery of like trying to replicate normalcy for my family, for my children. My wife was working really hard. I was with the kids all day, just trying to uh, maintain routines, uh, normalcy when they didn't have the ability to go to school or play with friends or even play on playgrounds, you know, just trying to find things to do um, to keep things going. And, and that sense that every day was gonna be like the next, there wasn't like an end in sight. This was before the vaccine. This was before a sense of like, oh, things will start returning to normal at a certain point and we'll find ways to go back to school, go back to our, our work and all that stuff. It was just literally, it kind of felt like so many unknowns about what, what, what would be happening. And it was just uh, exhausting. And I, when I did have a moment to myself after they went to bed, I went down to the basement and played my guitar and uh, and I found this real desire to just and I, what I said earlier about no self-consciousness, there's like, you can't feel self-conscious about yourself in the midst of all this other stuff. You're just like, you know what? I'm going to write some songs about how I feel and uh, that go places that I might not normally write about. But uh, it was it was a very interesting creative, a very interesting time to be in the midst of a creative project. Spare story of Lucifer's glory Thought of a soul
do you feel like you sort of like uh you know not quite put on the cape and become the natural but you know it doesn't feel like you're slipping into a different kind of persona or side of yourself it's funny you say that I mean I I think of uh I'll tell you about the basement in a second but I always think of myself as a very slow thinker or or, or in for meaningful thoughts like it takes me a long time to process things so so much of my music is ref- always reflecting on the past. It's almost like I haven't quite made sense of anything in my my life in the moment or like, <laughs> I, it, it's, it's like really strange. So like I'm always kind of reflecting on things that happened a while ago that I'm now just trying to like make sense of like years later. Uh, the basement was funny. So like during the pandemic, I ordered some colored light bulbs and uh, I, I, I hung up a, like a tapestry down there and I set up like a little janky projector uh, on a screen and I would sort of like make uh, some like videos of playing live. I had it all set up and it was sort of like, I was filming myself, but like the, what I was filming was going on the screen behind me. I'm like really not technologically sophisticated, but for whatever reason, I was just like, let's let's have some fun with this. I'm gonna be stuck in this basement for a long time. I'm not gonna be able to play shows or do anything. So I tried to make it uh, like that. And I always refer to it as drug basement but like I don't do drugs but for whatever reason everything about it would like lead you not to believe that it's like it's like the weird projections happening and like um like it was like it was like I'm going down a drug basement but I'm really just like sitting there with some like colored lights that I screwed in the ceiling and like playing my guitar um but yeah there there was something of like having a different uh a space that allowed for a kind of um escape escapist thought I, I mean I think escapist art sometimes gets a bad rap or whatever like I don't I don't want to be like flippant and say that art can't make the world a better place I mean it does but like this this idea that like a very pointedly political point very pointedly politically uh driven art is not something I'm capable of doing well there are people who can um my my the music I make is also it's just a kind of like my feelings and how I feel in, in my life. And um, when I think of like great protest song, right? I'm like, it's like, obviously like Billy Bragg or Joan Baez or like uh, obviously going back to Pete Seeger and, and, and people that could really sing specifically uh, in ways that were meant to 
cause something in the real world to happen. Um, I don't think my music is like that. And it's in, and it's in the best circumstances, it is a, a kind of escapism, but in the midst of a pandemic, how right it was a huge form of escapism. It was like the one moment of my day that didn't feel like, and I don't mean like being responsible for like as a parent or partner is drudgery, but it just felt like it was a lot, you know, in the, those times to just have like no reprieve. So whenever there was like any moment of like, oh my God, I can just go down to the basement and sing about whatever I want to sing about and, and play my guitar. It just, it felt so, uh, you know, like restorative and like awesome. And it, like, it just made, made that day feel worthwhile. And I was doing a lot of cover songs. I've never tried to play cover songs before, partially because other people's songs are a lot harder to play than my own. But like partially because it's like, it's a self-conscious thing, like stepping into another artist's voice and how much of, how much is replicating what they do and how much is like bringing your own perspective on it. But I was just like, I'm gonna do a cover song every day. Um, and some of them were like, turned out pretty cool. Some of them turned out kind of, I go back and look at them. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know if that Third Eye Blind song was really like, really, wow, I need to spend my time. But it was, I just felt so unselfconscious about doing that I think it bled into the the mu music I was writing for myself and where I was just trying out all sorts of stuff and some of it worked, some of it didn't, but I felt so like, I felt in a good way that nothing truly mattered that much. So I could just have fun and, and do stuff that satisfied my own itches and interests and stuff. And it was, uh, um, it was, it was escapist and, and quote unquote drug basement was like a very important part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I mean, the pandemic was all about control, right? Don't get yourself sick. Don't get the people around you sick. Keep the people that you love alive. Be courteous to your friends. Stay away from people. It was a, there was a real controlled element. And so drug basement is a place where there was no control, right? You could just, <laughs> you could just swing as wildly and as loudly and yeah like, yeah it was, like, it, was a, it was really good I think that's, that's a good point to point there was like so much you had to be so careful and I, I know like people have like in retrospect people are like whoa it turns out you could have like hung out outside all the time and no one would have been any worse for the wear but like you didn't really know that at, at, at the early onset and like yeah closing the playgrounds was stupid but like you know you you wanted to be on the side of people who are at least trying to behave responsibly and not like get like people sick and the more you learned about it over time and, and obviously once vaccines came along it was like game changing but like at those early days you were just like so cut off from any kind of human experience in fact like yeah. this might be long-winded and weird but like I remember I did like an interview like like maybe like two months into the pandemic and I just hadn't had a conversation with anyone that wasn't like under the age of five and it was like I'd forgotten how to speak to an adult in any meaningful way. It was like, I had, I was just like at a loss for basic communication, social norms of like what you say, what you don't, it was like very, I felt like unhinged um, just simply from being so isolated and um, just having baby conversations all day, which are cool, but like, you're like, you're like I'm like, I'm, I'd be on a podcast and be like, hi like you know it's like stuff like that where you're like wait a second i'm talking i'm not talking to a three-year-old right now I'm like, i need to i need to i put on my grown-up hat or whatever but it, but by way of contrast think about like at the height of the of the pure paranoia you're 
take your you're wiping down your groceries. So what is a better way to combat that than go down to drug basement and play a kink song? Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I love I love the kinks. Right? I mean, yeah, I what I do I like wiped down my groceries like for one week, and even then I was like, you know what? If my milk carton's gonna get me, I'm gonna like I'm gonna let it let it slide. Yeah, <laughs> you know, everyone kind of like takes it as much as they totally get it. It's like I I do want to do the right thing, but I maybe don't want to Clorox this apple. You know, it's like <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, I'm so germaphobic that I, that during the pandemic I felt like I could almost I almost fit in. Because yeah, you're like, I've been waiting for this moment, you guys. You guys have been buying it at the times. In terms of being offered shows now, um, where we talked about the portability and the economy of what you do, are there, those considerations aren't as easy anymore where someone says, hey, here's a great show in New Zealand. I mean, that's not as easy as you would do if you were 24 years old, right? So No, but luckily no one's actually offered me a show in New Zealand yet. So I'd probably get on the next plan and go if someone did. I'd be like, bye, bye. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with the Hobbits. I'm gonna, <laughs> there's some there's some really good elves that want me to play uh in Rivendell. I don't I don't know. Um there's a there's a show in the Shire. There's a show in the Shire. Yeah, it is it's fine. Like um no, I I this project hasn't like connected in the way that Paynes has even remotely at this point. Like, of course I hope that. Over time, like I find an audience for this music and people want me to play shows, but um, I haven't had to make hard decisions so much because, you know, I've gotten to do a little bit of touring in the East Coast. I, I did a, I did some, actually I did some shows in Spain last year um, and I did that one show in Norway, but there isn't, if, 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 if you, if you start a new project and it's very different than what you did before, I have no expectations that people that like pains will like this kind of music. And also sometimes uh, maybe the fact that I was in pains is like a turn off to people who are like, well, I wouldn't want to check out. I didn't really like pain. So I'm not going to check out this new thing. Um, so I, I haven't like come across uh, any hard decisions. I'm, I'm, I have a few shows coming up, like locally, I'm playing at a couple a record store here in town, uh, a record store in Philly. I have a show in Jersey City. Um, hopefully uh, I'll get a show in New York when the record comes out and uh, I'll just take it from there. Um, but the nice thing is, is that you never know. You put out music, maybe people like it and you get a chance to go to New Zealand someday. And and even if you don't, you still like the music you're making and that's ultimately the reward and whether you get to jam with, you know, hobbits or not is like kind of, or and if Lord isn't hanging out, you know, it's fine. <laughs> Was Norway logistically difficult with a family or was it just like, I'm going to take off and I'll be back in four days? Um, that was, it was more of that. Uh, but I want to go back with my family at some point because it's it's a very remote, remote part of Norway, but I think it's so beautiful and so special that I hope when my children are a little bit older, um, I'll get a chance to go back with them uh, because I, I, I was playing, I was there. I was like a lot, of, there were families there. They were just Norwegian families. It, also, the expense of like four people traveling to Norway—it's—it's it's like it's—it's it's a lot. Um, but I—I I saw I, I was playing frisbee with some kids. So There's another dad there with some kids, and he was playing frisbee with them. And I was like, "I'll play." And so I was like, I was playing frisbee with the family. And I was like, "Yeah, it'd be cool if like my kids were here and we'd play a little frisbee in like a, a ravine in a in a fjord or whatever." You know, <laughs> that would be a cool vibe. Uh, but um, but for the most part, um, I haven't. They're not quite old enough me to plan travel with them um I'm, i might be going doing a couple shows in the northeast and around a time when they're off of school and 
try to work it together. But I mean, that that would be cool because they, they don't get to see me play music all that much. And they 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 like it. They, they're like, oh, dad, it's nice. Well, it's nice for me to be able to share something special I do with them. Um, like that they can feel that they can feel good about it. It's like, and, and it's weird because I always think my music isn't for them, you know, it's like, but I played this show in Princeton. Uh, there's a little festival, like a little street festival here. And I, I played a set and it was so funny. I was like singing my like songs of like anguish and woe and like intense, intense feeling. And then there was like all these like five-year-olds were dancing around my feet the whole time, having a great time. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's cool. Like they're, and I was like, I was like prematurely apologizing. I'm like, oh, like talking to my daughter. I'm like, yo, I know it's like not like kids music and it's not. She's like, no, I, I like it. I'm into it. It's cool. Like she's like seven. And like, yeah, it's like, I think it's like, I think they just like that their dad is like playing songs and people are watching their dad play some songs. And that's gotta be like a real, a real cool thing. So I shouldn't feel so like, not embarrassed, but like apologetic, like, oh, you know, it's it's not like the Raffi songs I would normally play for you guys, but uh, <laughs> this one's about like, you know, torment. <laughs> this, is about inner, this is about crippling self-doubt. Crippling self-doubt and struggle and like, what was Odysseus doing on that island for so long when he was really trying to get back to his, his wife who was in peril and his son who was uh, being usurped when he was just hanging out on an island with you know, a, a, a goddess having a good time for like, maybe a few few too many years <laughs> like it's like oh i'm really need to escape this island eventually yeah yeah Cal yeah calypso is so <laughs> awful yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's it's uh it was cersei it was cersei that was who it was uh not the one from game of thrones the one from uh, oh yeah oh cersei and then she's there he he there's two right there calypso i'm trying to remember if calypso is the beginning or the end beginning calypso is there too yeah i i i i, I need to like go to Wikipedia and like get it all straight. I just remember I the one, the one where he's, his men are turned into like pigs. Cersei. And he's, that's, that's Cersei. And she's like lonely. And she's like, stay on this island. We could have a good life. And he's like, yeah, we could. And we yeah. are. And he's he like, just, now I got to go. But I didn't go that quickly. Yeah. But it was like, it wasn't that, it wasn't like, no, no, no. I, they're, they're waiting for me back home. Like my wife's been like waiting for me. My, I have a son who are these, I just need to get back. He, he wasn't too, he wasn't in too much of a hurry to return home. No. And he, of course, once he got home, he left again. So it, he took right off. Yeah. He had, he had to wander um, the world with an oar. But the, but the thing with, um, with Calypso is he's just basically having sex with her for a couple of years. And then, and then at one point he's like, maybe I should leave. Maybe I, <laughs> this isn't such a bad setup, but. There's, there's probably a different, yeah, there's a probably different understanding of what the, the right action was to do in, in the, in the ancient world. But like from, from a modern reader's perspective, you're just like, you kind of like reevaluate that stuff and you're like, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. I mean, like, I don't know. If I have band practice and I'm running late, I like I like I text. I'm like I'm gonna be home late. I'm not gonna be like oh, I'm going out to the bar with like these random ladies for a while. I'll be home like in four days. Like it's like it doesn't seem like uh this seems like a real real non-starter. Um, uh, right. So, yeah, that's that's yes. We've we've come a long way, I I think, as, over the last few thousand years. But uh, I I people. feel like I feel like we have. Um, if you if you write a song and you're super happy about it, will you will you play it for your wife and say like, hey, like do you have what is your checks and balances system? Like I know we talked about that earlier, but um, 
like mine is I'll just let, I'll just keep it to myself and I'll, and I'll be very feel very self satisfied. But that's that's a new thing for me. How about how about for you? That's weird. I'm really self conscious about sharing my music with my wife because it's like, um, first of all, when I sing music, it's loud, and there's like I, it's hard for me to perform music when there's people in the house. And so I feel very self-conscious about it at home. Um, and then I, I, it, it is weird. Like I, I'll like write songs and record them and make them. And, and eventually when they're mixed or whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll play them for her. I'm like, check it out. I got the mixes back or something like that. But kind of in the moment of creation, I still feel like very guarded about it. In fact, I wrote this beautiful song for my wife and I've been like refusing to play it for her. Like I was like, I was like, I, I, okay, this is a long story. So I watched this show called Detectorists. It's like a British show. It's like really funny. It's just kind of like two adult men who are have metal detectors and search for treasure and talk about life. And and one of the guys is like a middle-aged guy who like wants to go to open mic night and play a song called New Age Girl that's like so baldly about his ex-wife who's like into new age stuff. And it's so cringy and embarrassing but when he plays the song it's actually a good song and the guy he's playing with he's like i i was so sure this was going to be a disaster and it's still kind of embarrassing but it was it was like so sincere that there was something special about it and so i i kind of wrote a song that was i mean there's songs i've written that are about my wife i mean like summer of hell in a lot of ways is about my wife uh wintergreen the last song is in some ways about my my wife um oh you're, actually your temperate ways is about my wife but they're never explicitly saying her name or like this is about you there there's like there there's she is an inspiration there's elements of the stories that are about her but there's also elements that are just kind of a little more oblique but this one I was just like I I want to write a song that's just like new age girl but about uh, my wife, who is, who is, you know, I've known for since I was in university, even though we weren't like together the whole time, I've known her like basically my whole non-child life. And we have this life together now that we could have never anticipated. And so I wrote this song um, and I was like, oh my, but you know, you when you write a song for someone, you want it to be worthy of them. And you're not, you don't, like, if you're actually going to write that explicit song, it has to be explicitly like, uh, like Robert Smith's love song is about his wife, and it's like a classic song. Like you know, and you're not. It's not something like it's not some like B side or like track eight on the album where you're like, oh yeah, this is for you. It's like it's it was his most commercially recognized single in the United States, and not that that matters, but it's like when people think of the Cure, like love song is there, and that story that it's about his wife and he has had this long, meaningful romantic relationship just. It, was, it makes me feel good. I don't know. It's like, you're, I mean, who knows what their private life is like? But, but in, my, in my mind, Robert Smith is a good guy. Uh, and uh, so I wrote this song. It's like really good. And I like, when I wrote it, I was so excited. I was like, I wrote this song. It's like, it's, it's, it's about you. And it's, it's about our time, like when we were young. And it sort of, uh, I imagined like when we had gone our separate ways, like if I'd never met you again and and that feeling of wanting you back, but not knowing if we'll ever be back and worrying about even losing you because our relationship was so, it was like, it's like a lot of stuff. Uh, and then, then I never played it for her. And then the other day she's like, why don't, 
you never played me that song you said you wrote for me. And and I was like, oh yeah, I don't know. Like, it's kind of embarrassing. Like, it's, it's hard to really like actually do the thing, even though I was excited to do this for her. And I thought it was actually good. It actually like said things that I, I think she would like, she has like a high standard of music. Like she doesn't, she's not like a music head, like where she knows everything. But if I'm listening to something that's actually good, she'll be like, hey, what's that? And it'll, it actually will be like, that's orange juice or that's Dear Nora or that's like, like, you know, this Lou Reed solo record with John Cale, like songs to draw. She, like, when it, her ears pick up when it's something that's not, when it's something that's actually special. So I, 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 I know she knows what's actually good music. Um, so I was, I was too embarrassed to play it for her, but, uh, but I was, I'm actually, she's not home right now, but I'm playing a concert tomorrow and she's coming to the concert uh, and her brother is in town he's coming to the concert and i was thinking of playing the song at the concert tomorrow and like surprising her with it there but i i don't know if i'll work i i shouldn't say i don't have the courage to do it i'm just like will i be able to like actually do it in that context like will it be like too like oh no don't, i'm not gonna do this i'm just gonna stick to the songs i've, I've released or whatever so I'm, I'm kind of planning to surprise her with it either then or i'm playing a little hometown show here um uh in princeton and i think uh, maybe I'll do it there, but I I I, I kind of want her to like be like I haven't forgotten, and I'm brave enough to do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how the song was going to make it to her. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, I wrote it for you. It's about you. I like it. I hope it's good enough, and you can't hear it. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. It's not. That's not. I I need to. Sometimes, like, I have to tell myself my age and that I can do things. Like in life, I'm like, you know what, Kip, you're 43. You can do this. You can play a love song for your wife. Yeah, who you're married to? She's well, not. To, I have two right? children with her. Right. It's like it's almost like you're. It's like you're still trying to woo her, even though you've won her. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. You never actually, you never win. You always have to keep wooing. Like it's if you yeah. if you rest on your laurels, that's when that's when danger sets in. Like you're like, oh, I've 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 won. No, no, you have to you have to stay wooful. Remember to stay. Wooing. Yes, you have to always have the woo the woo light on. Because you're right. Otherwise, you're. That's exactly right. I so wear some woo, woo well. wear. Yeah, wear my woo yeah. wear. <laughs> uh, well, man, I hope you make it out to California. I don't know. I, I know San Francisco would, would. I'm sure would love to see you. I've. Uh, I saw Pains. I've, I've never seen you do solo. It'd be so fun to have you out here. And, uh... Well, I'm planning. I, I kind of have a little pipe dream of doing a little West Coast tour. Uh, maybe in November solo. Um, I've been talking to another artist called Nighttime, who's based in, he used to live in New York and now lives in LA and kind of, um, I just wrote her out of the blue. I'm like, we both like Richard Thompson. Would you ever be up for doing some shows together? Like, and she was <laughs> down with the idea, but yeah, I don't think I could take a full band out West at this point, but I was kind of thinking of maybe a little solo run uh, out that way. So if I do come through San Francisco, please, I'd love to meet up and see it at the show. And I think that'd be really rad. Absolutely. We'll have dinner and we'll hang out. It'd be great to see you. And because I think Payne's played, I'm trying to think, where, where did I see you guys? You played here American a lot. Music Hall, Rickshaw Stop. San Francisco yeah. was one of our best cities. It was like weird. Our our fan base was like, our biggest cities was New York, Toronto, San Francisco, LA, um, Chicago, and, uh, and, like, and then Europe. But like for whatever reason, like our, our music kind of like it was like pretty hit or miss depending on where we went. But for some reason, San Francisco always had a really good connection. I mean, it's the slumberland thing, I think, 
part of it. There is the musical history with bands that like we were in that lineage with uh, out there. We were, we went on tour with girls once an early version of the, the band girls I really loved them. We toured with weekend, which was another San Francisco band. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, obviously, and uh, uh, Tony Molina, he's, I don't think he's San Francisco, but he's like Bay area. I really yeah. like his music a lot. And um, I've been trying to like, weasel away into like playing some shows with Tony Molina for a while. He's like, he's a cool dude, but like, um, yeah, I think for whatever reason, the musical history of the city and um, always connected with pains in in, in a cool way. And and I know a lot has changed, but like, it still feels like there's that, um, that history there. And um, I hope to get out that way sometime soon. Yeah, the Great American show was phenomenal. I'm, I'm glad the live show, you remember it well. Because I, I, what I loved about, oh, this is the best part about the Grateful Dead podcast I listened to. I know we got to go soon. But for a band whose legacy is that they were awesome live, or that like seeing them live was the only rightful context to encounter their music, it was like it wouldn't make sense unless you had the live experience. Like the amount of self-admittedly terrible live shows they played at the biggest historical moments of like the 60s and 70s was just phenomenal. It's like every time they're like, oh, we were going to film their set at Woodstock, but it was so bad they never got in the film. Or it was like, we're going to Altamont, they were going to play Altamont, but the footage or oh, sorry, Monterey Pop Festival was another one where it was like, they played Monterey and all these other bands like changed the world. The reason they're not in the film is because they were so terrible live and they were aware of it. They were like, we were so terrible live. And yet what defines them is that they're not terrible live, but there was such like a, wide range of possibilities with like the, the presentation of their music that it could either be like shit the bed at the most important like moment that would define your city your scene forever or like go on to be the most like significant live act that played for 40 years and has like regions of adherence that only believe that the band was meaningful in the context of that live music and i, I thought that was like really it was really humanizing in a weird way where like jerry was just like it was terrible. We played badly. We all sang out of tune. It was really bad. And I, I know they were like probably a little fucked up when they were playing sometimes, but it, it really felt like they were honest with their own like failings at times. And I was like, I was like, that's cool. Like there's pain shows where we like sang really out of tune and like didn't quite know what we were doing yet or whatever. And I, I, I always felt like I'm glad that like people have a warm, warmer memory of some of those shows than when I'm just like, oh man, I remember like that one one time we... We played that show and I saw the video on YouTube and it was pretty rough, you know? <laughs> oh, I, when you guys played the great American, you were so tight and so good. It was, it was a great show. Well, thank you. I wasn't, I wasn't fishing for like compliments, no, no. but like, I, it just made me remember about like other San Francisco bands and uh, you know, like the, the ups and downs of, and the vagaries of live performance. And I, I think that's something that's uh, changed in the video era where, I go back in the nineties and I see like pavement live videos at festivals or hole or like these bands and they're playing like really loose sets that now would be like, I can't believe they like sounded like this and everyone's having the best time. And now I, I feel people feel the compulsion to use so many sequenced like live sequence tracks and stuff and their performance to really replicate people's expectations of what live music should sound like, which is perfect. And I, I feel like Pains was always up against that between like our sort of amateurish impulses of like what's like our band was about versus what like it meant to be like a quote unquote real band and like play shows and stuff. And I and I just feel so relieved that with the natural, like I'm back to like maybe I'll play a show and I'll sing kind of out of tune or like the guitar will like 
the bridge will slip and like all of a sudden it'll be out. Like, there, there is, it's fine to be like mess up sometimes. And that's still like part of what live music should be about rather than just this perfect replication of recorded music. I love your album so much. I love what you do. And um, it was weird. Before I let you go, I was listening to a lot of Credence this summer. And I feel like this album has this, um, there's the same kind of raw kinetic um, thing that that it doesn't sound out of place next to Credence. It's I, it's all I've listened to the whole summer. And then I put your album on and I was like, oh, that's, that's just- awesome. I, I, I was listening to Credence a lot. Like, I don't know if it's like even on this record, but I was like, you know what? Credence is a fucking punk band, dude. Like all their songs are like two minutes. They're in and out. They're just like, it's it's good stuff. And they kind of get shuffled away in some weird way. Where it's like, oh, it's this classic rock radio. It's like, no, I was like, I was I was like getting into Credence. I was like texting my friends. I was like, you guys listen to Credence lately? Like give it a listen. Like this stuff is good. Yeah, I was, there's this cafe here that I go to. It's this. It's the anyway. I'm in. I'm in the bathroom washing my hands, and Hey Tonight is playing on on the speaker, and I'm like, Holy cow! Hey Tonight, which I've heard a million times. I'm like, This song is so good, um, and it felt really just just alive in a way I never realized. And so the vibe on with the natural to me is very credency. Dude, I I, I love it. You know, it's uh. Yeah, I, I definitely wrote some songs for the next record that uh, kind of like took the inspiration of that just like quick, like in and out, like v- Credence vibe. And I, I I I appreciate that you appreciate that. And honestly, Alex, um, it's really nice to talk with you because you come at these conversations from the perspective of an artist. And I, I find the way you ask questions and have conversations, um, I find it like really, really great. So thank you for doing what you do the way you do it. and. Um, I'm grateful that you take the time to do this with me every couple of years. couple of years that's way too long we gotta talk to that guy every week i love kip he's the best and his album is brilliant summer of no light the natural pick it up the natural dot bandcamp.com the natural n-a-t-v-r-a-l make note of that the natural dot bandcamp.com but the u is replaced with a v okay you got that i'll wait for you to write it down okay all right just to be sure N-A-T-V-R-A-L, thenatural.bandcamp.com. Summer of No Light is the name of the album, and uh, that was so controlling of me just now, wasn't it? It was kind of uh, passive-aggressive. It was, But look, it's enthusiasm is what it is. I want you to hear this album. And the one before it, Tethers. Pick that one up, too. You're going to be so happy. It's just incredible music. I'm going to go on record right now and say Summer of No Light, modern classic. Tethers, modern classic. Kip can do no wrong. The guy is amazing. You can follow me on what's left of Twitter. There's not much, but uh, I'm still there, at Ember's Editor or on Instagram, at Ember's Podcast, or email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. I have a new book coming out 
on Halloween. It's called the Adventure Teen All-Stars. Why Halloween? Well, there's a water demon at the bottom of a pond. And I thought, that's Halloween-y. Or should I have waited for Christmas? I don't know. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Water demons lurking at the bottom of suburban ponds. I think Halloween was the way to go. I should probably tell you what the book's about now that we're here and having this conversation. I'll keep it short and sweet. It's like Scooby-Doo goes to hell, but through California. So there you go. Uh, Pre-order the book wherever you pre-order your books or order your books. One thing you don't have to pre-order, this podcast. We're available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review and tell all your friends. Bombshellradio.com is where you should go to check out what makes our radio station tick. And I think that's all the business I have for you today. Is that enough? That's a lot. All right. Pre-order the book. Go to Bombshell Radio. Rate and review the podcast. And uh, what else? What else can I ask of you? Oh, I do have one more thing. Listen to this song from the brand new album, Summer of No Light. This is Summer of Hell by The Natural. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.